Hey everyone, welcome to World's OKest Entrepreneur, the podcast for the OK entrepreneur who's just kind of figured it out as they go. On today's episode, we talked to Alex and Aaron from The Coven. Yeah, and it was just like a really great episode. I think what's so interesting about them is for both Andrew and I being product-based business owners, they offer a snapshot into just kind of a completely different world that we're not as familiar with. But honestly, what I think was so great about it is that they really shared just their journey of growing their business with four co-founders and kind of the high highs and the low lows of the entire process. I feel like I just learned so much out of it and they were just really vulnerable about like their whole experiences of kind of being people more from marginalized communities and like their experience with that. And I think it was so powerful. Oh, I agree. And it just, the conversation seems so good. Yeah. All right. And now onto the episode. How are y'all doing today? (sighs) Okay. Here, I'm going to ask different questions than that. Okay. So, um, <laughs> first off, before we, like, really, really dive in, is there anything that you want us to, like, touch on? Because I know you, y'all are, like, the franchise part is, like, you know, the community owners. We're going to call it a franchise, and then um, you're going to explain that it's, like, you call it community owners. I just want to note what you're doing right now. I didn't wear my very favorite oh, Larissa yeah. earrings I because I was, well, like, I'm like, I know these I'm are gonna... chosen and free today. I They're didn't... so cute. I wore Larissa yesterday. Uh, I wore them yesterday, I swear. God, I wore them yesterday. They were snakes. <laughs> I wore the snakes yesterday. Yeah. But, and I also Got was, lots like, of compliments. I told everyone. I'm going to have a sweater moment on the way out of here. I was literally, like, oh, I'm just going to, this is actually perfect timing. I'm going to go, I'm going to have this therapeutic session with my favorite people and I'm going to go buy things on the way out. It's really going to turn this week around. I mean, that was the whole idea, you guys, was like, we were going to host a podcast here and then we're going to make go exit through the gift things. shop. You're, so. like, you're like, wow, we have these really specific spikes at like 1210 every, <laughs> every Wednesday. <laughs> yes, headphones are really great with my hair. <laughs> yeah, you look so great. I had to figure something out. No, you're doing great. You know, technically, it's more like we've noticed that when you have headphones on, like we've also just, we've heard this from other podcasts in full transparency, but it seems to work. It looks really official. It looks really good for the gram. But you notice the conversation more because it's like kind of taking over uh, all of your senses. Yeah, so right. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I just started getting a little feedback. Yeah, yeah I'm I getting a little. The, I think it's a phone thing. I put mine in airplane mode. Oh, yeah. Ether. From the aliens. <laughs> yeah. The aliens. So yeah. Airplane mode or whatever. The 5G. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, that's good to yeah. know. The 5G. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> the vaccine. There's fire. so many Gs in here. <laughs> yeah. There's 20 G's in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I could use 20 G's. <laughs> any, I'll take any letter at this point. Wait. Okay. Franchise. Yes. We'll talk about that and then we'll shift into calling it community owners. Yeah. You were in the middle of asking us if there's other things that we want yeah. you to touch on. I mean, primarily our podcast is focused on the high highs and low lows. Oh, of, girl, we got them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably fine. We have like this new research arm of our business that's kind of interesting that okay. we can talk about like designing inclusive workspaces mm-hmm. from data. And so we've interviewed like 2,000 people across the country in different segments of the population. So we could talk about like growing that part of the business. And what's maybe kind of the up and down of that is that we are finding at the time that we're launching this, like DEI officers are like under fire and mm-hmm. like mm. affirmative action is under fire. And so like people are really hesitant to figure out how investment works when you're very specifically going after a certain population because mm-hmm. they don't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe something to think about. Tell me more about that. Expand on that. Okay. So we have a research arm of our business. It's called Empress and it's all around 
really finding ways to build a more inclusive workspace. Mm -hmm. So while it's not necessarily like just DEI type work, um, it really hits on that and can really support DEI officers and leaders um, in their organizations because we can provide them with data that says LGBTQ plus community says that this is what makes them feel like they belong in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And then we can give them the roadmap to say, here are these things, do these things, and Mm -hmm. more people will feel like they're welcome in your environment. With currently, like there's a ton of data out there right now that is showing like DEI officers are being laid off or they're exiting the workforce because they're not given the proper resources that they need to be successful in that role. They're not reporting up to the profit centers of a business. Mm -hmm. And so then they end up being Mm -hmm. kind of like ancillary marketing dollars for the organization. We've also seen that a record number of Black women are being put in these positions to like save the company from these, you know, crises that we're having. But again, they're not given the support Mm -hmm. and the resources that they need. So for us as a business that's trying to support these people and provide them with resources to be successful, they're also struggling with like, well, I only have $5 (laughs) to solve (laughs) all of our problems. Yeah, right. So that's part of some of the challenges that, you know, we're coming up from Mm -hmm. like a sales funnel perspective is like, how do we support folks with this really in, it really important data, knowing that these positions are constantly under fire and more so even now. And this work really kind of came to be an intersection of one, being able to highlight like what members of our team thrive in, where their areas of genius are. So, you know, we're, we represent half of our founding team of the four of us and Liz and Bethany, the other two that aren't here, you know, have this like deep background, both professionally and from an education perspective on research and data and analytics and strategies, right? So part of it is like taking how do we help their genius kind of come up and, you know, surfaced up. In other ways. But then in addition to that, it's this kind of intersection of what are we experiencing every day in our spaces? What do we see? You know, I think we've gotten over the course of the six years that we've been around folks from outside of the coven go like, okay, like, well, but how are you doing this? Like, how are you building a thriving community that is really cross-generational and multiracial and, um, you know, multi-industry and kind of all this stuff? And they're like, but how is that thriving? Because we can't make that happen in our workspaces, right? So we were kind of trying to find like, well, how do we help surface up both what's happening kind of inside of our of our business and with our team? And then also like, what are we experiencing day to day? And then like, how can we provide this kind of in, these insights and information back out? Because I think we've always felt really strongly like, yes, we want the coven to be like an incredibly special space. We want it to continue to help people feel physically and psychologically safe. And our work shouldn't end just at our doors. Like if we are the only place in the Twin Cities or in any particular neighborhood where people really feel like they can go and be themselves, that's a fabulous start. But like, isn't our responsibility more broad than that? Mm. And so I think like Empress does a really nice job of trying to kind of bring both of those things to bear. And, you know, it's like never ending story of an entrepreneur. It's like, we've got this great idea and it's totally necessary out in the world. And now we're just going to launch this whole area of our business. And like, it wasn't at all what we planned on, you know, a year ago, but yet here we are. Yeah. Trying to bring that to market. Or are you trying to basically, you're basically taking something, what it sounds like to me is you're taking kind of this intuition and this feel within your company Mm. and you're trying to quantify it in a way to to like show it as a model for people. And that sometimes it's hard, I feel like to to get those numbers out or to to take a feeling and turn it into a number. Yeah, we're validating. We're validating. <laughs> I just felt that in, yeah, in, inside <laughs> my body. Yes. 
Yes, that's yeah. va- that's validating. Thank yeah. you. But we're validating <laughs> the experiences that we have within our organization, mm-hmm. within our employee base, within our membership, and talking to people all across the country. So like 2,000 plus people respond to these surveys that mm-hmm. we can then go back to organizations and say, mm-hmm. this isn't just a Twin Cities thing. This isn't right. just a oven community thing. Right. This is a, a nationwide challenge and call to action. And mm-hmm. so uh, we feel really lucky to be able to like do that and that we have the skill set to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. The journey to get here was really interesting because we were doing like very specific custom research for folks. So working with, you know, different organizations, large corporations to help them understand how to better engage their employee workforce based on our experience and like internal research we were doing with them. And then we thought, like Aaron was saying, like, shouldn't we be able to bring this to a larger group of people and have this apply to a number of companies as opposed to just one? So now we're taking like the syndicated research approach, which has been really exciting and gives us a, a space to really lean into thought leadership in this space in a way that I don't think we've done. We haven't done it in the past. So I guess I'm kind of curious about that because you said like this wasn't part of the program, so to speak. Never is, Laura. Never is. <laughs> Like, was there a point like, so it sounds like it was an isolated research project. And then you were like, okay, I see that there's value in here. But did you guys all get like together then? And you all were like, I guess we're going to make this bigger. Like how, like, tell me step one. And how did that lead into step two, three, four, five? Sure. So like years ago, we had started, we were working with corporations on like, what is our in with corporate, right? And we initially thought as starting a workspace that it would be people would want workspace. Well, pre-pandemic, that wasn't really the case. You can't get Target to leave their offices and come to our 5,000 square foot space, (laughs) you know? So we were kind of going after like teams, smaller groups, smaller companies and organizations for the membership piece, but we knew that there was an opportunity to tap into kind of the larger corporations. I mean, we live in the Twin Cities, which has some like one of the highest number of Fortune 500s here. So how do we tap into that like deep corporate market here in the Twin Cities? And so we were looking at ways to best utilize our skills. And like Aaron said, Liz and Bethany have this really phenomenal experience as market researchers. So we started with pitching kind of corporate research, like how can we make your space more inclusive by tapping into the insights within your own community? And so that's where we were doing those custom studies. So we did a couple of them between like 2019 and 2021 with the University of Minnesota, Greater MSP. We did some research with 3M and some case studies with them. And kind of, again, as we start, we kept doing those, it was like they were learning so much and they appreciated that work so much that we thought, why not bring this to a broader group of people? And do this in a way that is true to us, too. So when you're going in with one company, you're solving their problem versus you're you're not solving the community's problem. (laughs) You know, you're solving the corporate problem. And so for us, it was how do we think about this from a community first perspective going, well, we can identify what all the challenges that people are having, but let's provide some solutions to Mm -hmm. solving the problem. And the community can bring that together. So interviewing men on social isolation this year, we interviewed the LGBTQ plus community on what makes up space belonging. And then we are in the middle of a study right now with um, our aging population in the workplace. So understanding what 50 plus people are moving through, how they're moving through the workplace. And from a professional development perspective, we we aren't serving them well. So what do they want to see as, you know, none of us have 401ks anymore. Like there's, you know, nobody's retiring ever. So, <laughs> so it's like, we're just like, what do we do when we get to that age where, you know, a generation or two before us, like they were ready to go to Florida and like 
a lot of us are going to step into that space and be like, I'd like to go. No one wants to go to Florida. Yeah. But I'd like to we're go gonna, somewhere warm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're taking the Caribbean or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'd like to, yeah. you know, take time off yeah. over the mountains, but I can't. And so I have to stay in this workforce for another 10, 20 years. What does that look like for me? And we want to make sure that we're centering the voices of folks who are experiencing that right now. Okay. So like, it really sounds like Tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like when the coven was started, it was very much so like a B2C kind of business model. And it's sounding like now it's really starting to transform into much more of like a a split, kind of like, you know, like a B2B and like a B2C. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, and isn't that the joy of entrepreneurship, right? It's like the thing you thought was going to land, lands in some way, but yeah. like could land in others. And, you know, Al has this beautiful, like during early on in the pandemic, gosh, this must have been like maybe April or May of 2020. And we hosted this whole thing on our digital platform that we launched 24 hours after March 16th, right? To keep our community connected. We had a whole, we hosted a whole conversation that we called Fuck the Pivot because we were just so tired already of hearing like, well, how are you pivoting? How are you pivoting? And I am a very <laughs> physical and like a visual thinker. And I was like, the concept of a pivot is that you have something whole, foundational that you can push off of that actually allows you to pivot. You can't just do it when you're already floating. And all of us were just floating. Nobody knew in, you know, April, May of 2020, like what was happening? We didn't know what the impacts of our business were going to be. And so we kind of just like said, we're like, we're going to get rid of that language because it insinuates that like we've had some sort of like strong foundational space to build off of and make this like really intentional decision to go, oh no, now we're going to go in this way. That's like so clear. And the future is so clear ahead of us. And Al did this beautiful thing. Like she just started saying like, I'm just going to call it pirouetting. We're pirouetting. We're changing (laughs) something else. We're going to keep on, we're light on our feet. And I think that's like what entrepreneurism is inevitably is just not holding on so tight, you know, to to be able to like give yourself the room to say, okay, this thing that I know and love and can bring into the world is working in these ways. And then there's opportunities in these ways. And do we feel as deeply passionate about those other opportunities? And do we want to introduce them and kind of fold them into the stream of what we provide, you know? So Back to what you were saying, Larissa, in terms of like the steps, it was kind of like, okay, we did this thing. Let's be honest. We did this thing because it was a revenue stream. We can make money from it. We wanted to make, we like making money. Business needs to make money. A business needs to make money. That was a way that we could do it. Okay, cool. That seems to be landing. How does that intersect with us as individuals and what our values and principles are of our business? And like, is this still a way to like bring that to bear in a way that feels really true to who we are. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep, it passed that test. Okay, now how do now how do we want to proceed? How do we test that out? How we do how do we do a test and learn? And so, you know, this past year was really when we quote unquote launched Empress, but like we've been doing this for a number of years alongside of the other work of the Coven and so yeah, that's how it just kind of like, you know, you see a thing that works and you go, okay, well, let's pursue it a little bit more. We'll pursue it a little bit more. And then inevitably it's like, is it still working? Is it still working in this phase of the business, in this phase of who we are as people, who we are to one another as four co-founders, as to who we want to be to the community? Does that all still check out? Does it still work? Yep. Okay, it does. Well, then let's keep doing it. Nope, it doesn't anymore. That doesn't quite feel right. It doesn't really feel whom we are, what we can provide. Okay, now how do we generously let that go? You know, so it's that, I think, constant state of pirouetting 
that we've become more and more comfortable in the longer we're in this this world. I mean, I think that's the one thing is I've seen you pirouette a lot. But I think like to give our audience like this foundation, like y'all four were in advertising-esque functions and everything. But you all were working at different companies, correct? Yeah. How did you all like truly like, where is it like happy hour? Like how did you actually <laughs> all meet meet? Because you were working at different companies and everything. Yeah. Were some of you friends beforehand or? And Bethany and I had been friends. We had worked at the same agency on and like on and off together. So we had known each other. Liz and I worked at the same agency, but we never worked together. Uh, <laughs> you have that moment where you're very like, very natural to be like, let's start a business together. Yeah, Not for at sure. All. No. Yeah, it was funny. Liz had like worked on all of the sexy brands and I worked on like insurance and dog food and she got like hot cars. <laughs> like, <laughs> I always like joke because I'm like, like, what the fuck? What the yeah. fuck, man? This yeah. sucks. But it was a great experience and also learned a lot from it. So when around kind of the lean in time of like Sheryl Sandberg and kind of that whole concept of like, we'll just do it more, but like a man, you know, like, <laughs> and like you can have it all too, as long as you're a dude. <laughs> yeah. So we had started an organization with a handful of women from that industry called Mad Women, which still exists just in different forms now. It was a nonprofit. And it's, it was essentially to, like, bring women from the advertising industry together to, like, air our shit. And, like, there weren't many of us that were, first of all, there weren't many of us, but there also weren't many of us in leadership. There weren't many of us who saw ourselves advancing in our careers in that industry. And so what we wanted to do was to find space for us to find, you know, support with one another. And that's where we met was mm -hmm. at Mad Women events, um, where we started kind of connecting and, and talking about, like, yeah, lean in, but also like lean out. Like what? <laughs> like, like what year was this? Take a break. Um, twenty sixteen. Think yeah, twenty yes, yeah, yeah. Twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen was when we kind of started to get to know each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then, um, you know, the election in twenty sixteen was what it was, and I think it was. I mean, I think a catalyst for a lot of folks yeah. to figure out like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, yeah. what are we like? What am I doing with my life? Like, I yeah. I can't sit here and do this anymore. You know, I can't sell dog food anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, which like, great. So we kind of started chatting around like, well, what could we build together? And while Mad Women was like the catalyst that brought us all together, you know, we kept getting like these positions uh, in leadership, we kept getting, you know, accolades from the industry saying mm -hmm. like, we're doing a great job. And, but like the needle wasn't moving, like only like 3% of women were in creative director roles at the time. And mm -hmm. so it was like, and then it moved to like 11% and it was like, good job, <laughs> which like any advancement is good, but it just felt so like futile. Yeah. And, and there wasn't actual like dollar investment in no. that work. It was more like performative investment mm -hmm. in the work. Like let's host an event about it and not actually hire the people, keep the people and make sure that they have a path to growth. And so we just kind of started like getting angry about it and just getting angry together. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think it was like Aaron and Liz and I were having conversations about building like an agency that would serve, like a creative agency that would serve women entrepreneurs, because we knew that agencies weren't going to serve them, right? Like bigger agencies weren't going to serve them. And then Liz was getting her master's degree in at, at the School of Design, um, in the new school the in new New York. New York. Um, and so she was like, well, I'll use this as like my business case, like I'll build my business case for this. So she was like, her final project was 
this business that we were forming. So we were like in the library all the time, like at the Hennepin County Library in downtown, like reading books and like putting post-its up and figuring out what are we building together. And then Bethany and Aaron and I were also in conversation about this thing. We had like two text strings that were called the coven. And we were kind of like, you know, talking about this business and talking about, you know, mad women and the things that we were doing within mad women between Aaron and Bethany and I, and then this business that we were maybe going to build with Aaron and Liz and I. And then it ended up like we all had brunch. I think it was Bethany and Aaron and I had brunch mm-hmm. one day on like a Tuesday. To be clear, at that point, I had just quit my job. Sure. Yeah, I had oh. like already quit my job. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know what's next. I have no idea. But I just like this ain't it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I was at that time I was running our New York office. Like I think it's important for folks to know, like all four of us were in really significant positions of leadership within the agencies we were working in. Like we were at the table. This was not like outside looking in, but I think we all know as women and with Alex uh, as a black woman, it's like, even when you are at the table, you are still outside looking in. Yeah. And we just were like, this is, this ain't it. This ain't it. And so, yeah. (laughs) So I just wanted to like preface the boozy boozy brunch on a Tuesday was it was, I was in, in a middle period. Yeah, it was in a celebration <laughs> maybe, but uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. So yeah, it was a great, it was a great brunch. It was the best brunch yeah, actually. It, it was like the catalyst to start the business. So Erin walked in and um, was, I had like had half a Bloody Mary already. And she was like, it's a space. It's a physical space. I had a dream and it's a physical space. And we were like, well, all right. And then like the text string like didn't stop after that. I mean, it was, it was like fire. talking about design elements, talking about what inclusion looks like in the space, talking about what is it, what is the co-working industry? Is there a market for that here? And we started like building and building and building. Meanwhile, Liz couldn't make the brunch because she had just taken a new job <laughs> at another agency. And so she was like in Austin, Minnesota yeah. or something. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we were like, we got to tell Liz to change her, <laughs> change her school project. Yeah. Turns like, out. It's like a big deal. <laughs> So we had like a separate coffee with Liz and we're like, hey, so uh, that business we were starting, are you okay if if we do something else? And like, can you do it? How much of this paper have you written? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to change a couple of things. And she was like, oh, that's a much better idea. (laughs) I do remember (laughs) we were going to get an A now. We were so nervous to tell her. Alex and I were so nervous. And then Alex and I had a separate text string because we were the only two people on both text strings. And we were like, we got to stop this. It's so, it's not like, it's so nerve wracking having two different text strings about the coven when it's like, yeah, it was it was what hilarious. are we doing? Truly, what yeah. are we doing? But one of the things that I uh, do you do you mind if I Wait, share the kitchen story please. in my kitchen? OK, so I think one of the things prior to the idea of the coven, like the, what it ended up kind of building into, you know, we were in this space of, you know, we want to do something. We want to figure out a way to give back. We want to be able to capture our genius in a different way. We want to marry I think for all of us, specifically in 2016, there was like, we could no longer ignore this space between who we were as people and what really mattered and how we spent our time every day. Mm -hmm. It was just like that cavity could no longer exist. And that tension showed up for us in all different ways. Like for me, it eventually showed up as like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I can't be in this industry doing this with these people. I, I just need to like make space to explore something different. I just can't have that kind of like dissension and difference and and the the feeling they have in my body every day. And so we were all kind of in active conversation about this. And 
there was an incident that occurred where Alex had found out, like, unfortunately, very to the almost to the fucking dollar that it was like as a black woman, she was literally making 70 cents on the dollar based on the role that she was playing and that she was so deeply effective in at her particular place of work and beyond being effective, she was being lauded for that, right? She was being pushed out in front of people going, you know, look at this fabulous young black woman. Like, yes, that. And she's fucking amazing at her job and you're underpaying her for it, right? And so it was this element of like, you know, part of the reason we'll get into the name of the coven, but like part of that was like, we love that name because it was this feeling of like, people have your back even when they're not in the room with you. You know, like we just like, I have like full body like goosebumps right now. I'm like so mad all over again, but like, that's how we felt, right? Al comes over to my house. We're sitting in my kitchen talking and she looks at me and says, I'm just really starting to come to terms with the fact that like this change that we're seeking to create is not going to happen in our lifetimes in this industry. And I looked at her and I just like, I was like, fuck, she's right. Like it was probably the most confident truth I had known. You know, it was like, there was no rose-colored glass. Oh, well, if we just try harder, if we just do that, you know, if we just lean in. And at that moment, it was just like, this ain't it. Like, we're just, we're moving on and we have to explore what that might look like somewhere else. And so that was like, for me, like the, the seeds of the coven are like us in that kitchen looking at each other and just knowing it, like knowing it as a truth deeply. And, um, and that's not to say that there aren't fabulous people in that industry. And there aren't people who are like working really hard to make change. All of those things are absolutely true. And we were on a timeline. Yeah. Like we really felt like we had the skills and the empathy and the genius to make this happen on this time that we're, you know, spending on this plane of our existence. Like we, we knew that we had that capability. And so then it was just like, all right, now we just got to figure out what the hell that is. <laughs> so it was the Tuesday brunch. Mm-hmm. And then it was the kitchen incident. Mm-hmm. And then what was next after that? Well, just hundreds of coffees. So many coffees, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we started with moving through this kind of space of we got to market test this in a way that's mm-hmm. going to tell us it's okay to quit our jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> to do this. Right. And Aaron had already quit. So it was like summer of Aaron was 2017, <laughs> where we just kind of like, truly, that's what we called it. It was yep. like, Aaron is, Aaron's got time. And I was like, I was doing a lot of freelance work and was ready to leave my job. So like that summer, we just spent a lot of time together mm-hmm. and thinking about what are we going to build how are we going to do this in the right way? And so with Liz and Bethany's like amazing market research skills, we were able to put together lots of focus groups, lots of like questions and prompts for people to answer. What would you want out of a space that was built for you? And most people were like, well, I don't deserve a space that's built for me. And like, I've never had something so beautiful in my life before. But how and would I use it? How would I use yeah. it? And those are questions that like we were able to answer when we had the physical space. So like Prior to that, we didn't have a space. We didn't have a loan. We didn't have a mm-hmm. bank account. It was just we had Aaron's living room. <laughs> and we just kept inviting strangers over and saying, have some wine and cheese, meet some people, and see, like, what kind of connections that we can foster between folks. And that was, like, that was more of the key of it than it was the actual, like, the physical space is important because it is the container for that magic and energy. The design is important. All of that is important. But what the magic is actually, like, the connectivity that happens within any space, like a living room. So that was kind of those like crystallized moments where it's like, we're doing it. We're, we're having, this yeah. is the coven right here in Aaron's living room. <laughs> yeah, we've kicked out her family. Yeah. <laughs> like, we live here. Oh, yeah. They're fine. Oh, yeah. 
So we hosted um, maybe like four uh, focus groups. We called them witching hours where we brought people together, had those types of um, you know, deep questions and things like that. Um, we had tons of coffees outside of that. And the way that we, I should say, like the way that we organized those focus groups were like we would invite five people we knew and then we would ask them to invite one person that we didn't know. Mm. So that it like one helped us grow our network exponentially, mm-hmm. but it also tapped into communities that we weren't connected to, which yeah. was really, really helpful. Yeah. For us to know like, okay, if we want to make this an inclusive environment for all people, how do we make sure that those people are at the table and informing yeah. the work that we're doing? It can't just be like a bunch of people in advertising shaping this space. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really awesome to to see people show up. And we had, I'll give like one story about Ann Kim showing up to Aaron's house, which was like the most amazing thing. She owns yeah. uh, Pizzeria Lola and all kinds of delicious pizza places. She's like on Netflix now. She's yeah. an amazing James Beard award-winning yeah. chef. And I had spoken at an event at an agency like maybe months previously. So like we had maybe met, but there's no way that she like remembered who I was. Like that I was just like, I love your pizza. Like, yeah. just thought, like, I'm just fangirling just over like, here a little bit. But yeah, like I know who you are. You have no idea who I am. And so I sent her this email and was like, you know, the title was like witching hour. Like, hi, Anne. I don't know if you remember me, but like would love to hang out with you at this thing I'm hosting. It's called the Coven, blah, blah, blah. And she showed up and I was like, what? Uh, yeah. Kim's here. Yeah. Like it was, she said yes, like within a day. Like, yeah. and she showed up in Aaron's living room. She gave great insights. She's mm-hmm. got so much hospitality background that was so helpful to hear, which like we didn't even think about our business as a hospitality mm-hmm. business at the time, but it was so helpful to hear her perspective. And we just continued to like champion her. She's come to our space. We've been to her. I've eaten so much pizza. <laughs> and I feel like that's like part of this magic is like people just show up for us. People, we show up for other people. And that's what the coven is. Yeah, absolutely. I think going back to kind of our origin story in that summer of 2017, it was like it planted so many seeds and really showed us like how the four of us as co-founders, like how we would continue to work together and how to like leverage each other's skills and how to lean on one another. You know, Bethany and Liz have, you know, we've shared like they have this market research background. They're just so incredibly like well-read and don't move things forward without the data to help support it. And like, it's just such a beautiful marriage between like Alex and I often like joke that we're like the feelings corner. Like we are very much like we go by our gut. We go by like intuition. And it's not that we don't care about those other things. We obviously do. But there is something about just like how we kind of orient in the world is much more like I feel this in my body. I recognize this. I understand this to be true. And I want to explore that. And then these two dynamic women also like have those same feelings. But then they're like, okay, but yes, but I'm not going to confidently move forward until we've answered these things. Right. So it was just this really and continues to be this like beautiful marriage between the four of us that like we do lean in on each other's skills and areas of expertise. And we, as, as, uh, as you can imagine, like how um, confusing is not the right word, how dynamic a, a relationship between four people can be <laughs> and all of the things that come with that. I think there's this, um, you know, consistent and honest truth of like, we trust one another and what one another's skills are. We honor that in one another. And there isn't this feeling of like, oh, but they're good at that, so I can't be. Or, you know, or there's like, there isn't a sense of jealousy or 
a lack of feeling or something like that because someone else holds that. It's very much like an abundance perspective within the four of us of like, this is not scarcity. You know, Alex can be fabulous at 1500 things and I don't feel less than because she's fabulous at those. I just feel really lucky that I get to like work with her and we get to find those areas of like where they overlap. And so it was kind of like the coven on like a very mini scale before then the coven started to like grow and grow and grow. And it's just, again, I think it's just such an important part of like our origin story is like really kind of figuring out how to harness that power between the four of us early on and how to implement it and how to care for it, you know, and how to tend to it over these years. That has been an important part of our story. And then, you know, we're lucky that it's like continue, like we just hire fabulous people and we have a broader staff now that represents so many different lived experiences than our own and like bringing them into the fold and kind of learning and leaning into them and that just kind of and then that into our community and then that into the digital space and then that into you know we just kind of try and keep expanding it from there so partnerships are a very like great part of owning a business because you can then leverage everybody's like unique talents and everything um when you got together, because like very similar, like Andrew and I was like, I was like to Andrew, I was like, I'm good at this and I'm not good at this. <laughs> like, just let me be clear. Did you all have like a similar thing where you're like, this is kind of my zone? Like, how did you divide all the roles and duties? Because I mean, it's kind of great. You're like a band. Like, you can kind of be like, I'm doing this mm-hmm. and I'm doing this. Did you just decide or you were like, well, this shit's got to get done. So you're going to like somebody just pick it and like go do it. Yeah. Well, listen, like if designing decks is like playing the guitar, I'm never going to play the guitar. <laughs> That's like never going to be my ministry. (laughs) But what? Okay, so a couple of things. I think one one area that we've done really well from the very beginning is being really transparent about our capacity. Like we all have families. We all have obligations. I think part of the fact that all four of us are women means that we are caring for a lot of other things in our lives, people, kids, animals, all of the things. And so We've been really transparent from the beginning about saying, like, listen, like, if you need to lean out, if you at any time, the group will pick you up, right? We can't all lean out at the same time. That's impossible. It's not a possibility. It's impossible. But if you need it, then you take it. And it's going to help you. It's going to help the business. It's going to help the rest of us if you take time away versus trying to, like, push through or, you know, be, like, mentally unfocused in the space. And so... We try to give people like the grace. And so we kind of we call it circular leadership because it's not a hierarchy. It's mm-hmm. not where you handle this. Therefore, I never touch it unless it's a deck, you know, <laughs> but like, but like it's the sense of like you can trust me enough to pick up your slack, you know, but you have to tell me that you need slack, you know, because otherwise then that's like when resentment builds and those types of things. If you're not honest about what it is that you you need. Mm-hmm. And I think we've also started to get to know each other enough over these last 100 years that. We've been running this business together that like I can tell when, mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to push through and I can tap on you and say like, hey, this I feel like maybe you need a break, you know, or mm-hmm. take the day or take a minute and let me know how I what I can take take off of your plate. I will ask you what I can take off of your plate when I have capacity to yes. take something off of your plate. Yeah. I think that's the other piece, because mm-hmm. I think as women, we're like, well, how can I help you? What do you need? And yeah. we're like, how can I step in and support you? But we often don't have the capacity to help right. anyone at that yeah. moment. Yeah. So I think we've started to build these muscles over the last 100 years around how we support one another in those times. And because we built that into our relationship and forming the business, that's carried on 
over the last six years. And, and that's been the most important piece is that we're able to lean on and out whenever we need. And being vocal and transparent and honest with one another about that has been a really key part of our relationship. So when it comes to like what we're owning and who's doing what, yes, we have we each have basically our own revenue streams that we're responsible for managing. They've changed over the years based on what needs focus on the business and where our individual skills are. But I think we've all kind of tapped in and out of each other's space because that's necessary to run the business together. And I think nurturing that type of energy and space between each other has made us a stronger business and more resilient, allows us to pirouette in the ways that we've done. Plus one. I mean, yeah. Plus a hundred. She's all I just that. love that you said a hundred years. I was just literally thinking, I was like, is entrepreneurship like dog years? Like yeah. one year is equal to seven percent. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So we're all 700 years it's old true. right now. Yeah. Then we, then we should update those. Like, you know, it, you know how like when people have like a presentation or marketing, they'll talk about like the combined experience of like, you oh, know, yeah. so they'll have like a group of like young people and they're like, with a combined experience of 65 years in the industry. And it's like, you're like 11, you're 25. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but like ours should now be with like a combined experience of 450 450 years years. look at us go (laughs) yeah that feels right (laughs) all right so it's summer of Aaron 2017 and you're starting to build this but so there's three other of you that at that moment have jobs and everything like that so how are you like are you just kind of like at night like just text streaming each other and trying to build this yeah I mean it's pretty constant I mean I would say the text stream was 24 7 for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like that summer, especially when Al got to the place where she was like, okay, I'm kind of exiting this full-time position and moving into freelance. Then I think this is another good example of like, there have just been multiple times in over the course of the hundred years that we've been in business that it's like someone is has a really heavy freelance schedule or has a thing, you know, that's happening where it's just like, I just don't have, here. here's the literal amount of hours or capacity I have. And so having this group of four means just kind of like leaning in and leaning out during those times. And so that summer, it was a lot of like, Alex and I were very much like way leaned. I mean, I just didn't have anything else going on. (laughs) But at that stage in our business, but then, I mean, the texturing was constant and Alex and, I'm sorry, Bethany and Liz are just, again, so brilliant and so good at getting a lot done in a short period of time. And so we were just kind of leveraging each other in that way. We did a couple of like uh, retreat weekends, again, in my living room. <laughs> and I was like, we had a dear friend of ours who's become an advisor and who's worked in, has always worked in finance from everything from like, you know, Ford to SpaceX to working with like small business entrepreneurs in Nigeria, like a real kind of broad swath of things. And so she really, she led us on two weekend um, deep dives into our business plan, right? And just like literally like every single point. I mean, we spent 45 minutes one day talking about should we upcharge for food that gets ordered into this? And then inevitably it was like, does that even matter? Is that really like a core component of our business? It's like, no, okay, well, moving on. You know, (laughs) I have to say the best part about Jess being there was that it was like, we would be just talking about the business plan and Jess is like sitting on the couch listening to us. And so we would be like, oh, and then we need to like restock the the bathrooms and whatever. Mm -hmm. And she'd be like, hold on a second. Toilet paper. How much toilet paper do you think you're going to get? And we were like, oh, 10 like you know you know so we would like that but it would make us think about it right there in that moment of like okay now we got to think about how to have the supplies in the space what are we what else are we need in the space and so like then literally as soon as like just left she was like well here's all the line items of the things that yeah you talked about and they're you know 
average price based on what's in the market locally here. I mean, it was amazing and phenomenal. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs don't have that type of maybe person in their lives, but there are so many organizations out there that do this type of stuff, like Women Venture. Yes. Um, there's lots of uh, Led by Truth with mm-hmm. Angel Even. Um, there's so many organizations that do this type of thing. But even having just like a friend who's good at math, yeah. like <laughs> <truly>. around <laughs> to just ask you those types of questions along the way and yeah. be like, very focused on the financial piece of the business. I mean, we used that financial model for three years afterwards. I mean, we adjusted it for like reality and things like that. But I mean, that was really the beginning state of the business. Yeah. 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 That's such a good point, Al. I think there's, we have a skill that I think all of us have had uh, since the beginning is we're not afraid to ask for help. Yeah. And I think the story of entrepreneurship is just riddled with, uh, you know, feelings of inadequacy and not knowing and not understanding. And like, that I think as women, but also as entrepreneurs, like we can kind of feel like that's somehow on us, like like that that is a, a lack on our part. Like if I don't know what my spreadsheet should look like, do I even deserve to have a business? Like those are real fucking thoughts that like we have, like, do I even deserve to have this? And so going out and being, you know, I think a lot of folks, we know this because of the entrepreneurs in our space that will like, hesitate to ask for help or hesitate to seek resources because they're like, oh, I just don't know what questions to ask. And it's like, oh, no, you don't need to know what questions to ask. Like, uh-huh. there's an expert that will come in and ask you those questions. Like, that, I think, is we were really lucky early on to just kind of create this environment inherently between all of us that it was like, oh, OK, well, we just we just don't know. And it, during that time, we got a really great note from our friend Nora McInerney, who's an author and an entrepreneur herself. Like, we kind of kept this, like, I kind of kept saying this thing. I think it was like, kind of thought it was like cute. Like it was like a Midwestern cute thing, but we were like, (laughs) we don't know what the fuck we're doing. You know, like, don't, you know, like, don't be, don't be scared by us. Like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. And she's like, stop, stop saying that. This is all new to you. And it's okay that it's all new to you. And so I think we just kind of moved through that summer and then inevitably that fall and then launching that business with like, this is all new to us, but we're learning and we're applying the rigor and we're open to continue to learn. I think for like us, at least for me in particular, like that was a, I'm the youngest on the team. We're all three years apart. It's a very strange, like. <laughs> Wait, like three, 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 three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the old. Yeah. That's the old. Yeah. I'm um, the old. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the youngest in the group. And so like being in a group of folks who are older than you, who have more experience than you, there's a lot of like, I have to know what I'm doing in this situation. And I think like that phrase of this is new to me, like shifted my perspective of mm-hmm. oh like not knowing something isn't a uh, fault you know yeah. and it's finding fine. out the answer is the challenge right um and if you don't find out the answer or you choose not to find the answer that's the fault right because you're deciding that you should know everything and therefore you're not planning to learn anything new for the rest of your life which i think like when i st- when we started this business like that was kind of my mentality was like well, I have to know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I just kept saying, I know, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to figure it out. And But I think really having that sense of like, it's okay not to know and that hunger for more knowledge. And I feel really grateful to have like folks who had maybe gotten past that in their lives um, around me because they were like pushing me to like say it's okay not to know. And to have, you know, particularly Liz and Bethany who are just like lifelong learners mm-hmm. and studiers of the world like be brilliant and not know. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that was like life-changing for totally. me to watch them just be great unknowers. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and like just hungry for knowledge. And for me, I was like, oh, like I should know, like I could, I could know things and it's okay not to know things, you know? I think we're always kind of, we're always kind of chasing after that quantifiable thing again. So back to the the idea of like intuition versus quantifiable. Mm-hmm. It's like when you feel like you know something, it's quantifiable. You're like, well, I know that quantified, right? But it's mm-hmm. like your intuition will get you to know that thing. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's what all learning is. Is It's like you go in with a good intuition, mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I, another thing that I didn't really know until we had been in this a while had also been because the four of us came from an industry that is centered around coming up with ideas, presenting those ideas, having those ideas be bulletproof, continuing to present, con- present, present, present. Like what I found in like my lived experience was like, holy shit, my, so much of my life has become presentational and not conversational. Yeah. And I think that that's why oftentimes people will ask us like, oh my God, how do you do it with like four of you? It's like, how, how do we not, you know, like <laughs> I couldn't imagine, like the, co- frankly, like the coven would not exist if this was a singular venture. Yeah. It just, it just wouldn't. And so the dynamic of having four of us who chose to say, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be open. I'm going to learn from one another, right? Like that circular kind of leadership really early on, because honestly, I think it was, we just all felt really safe in that. It was what we were craving. We were kind of craving that in other spaces in our life. And then we were able to create that for ourselves. That really just led us to this space of like, for me, I was like, oh, I've just been so presentational. I've been so worried about having like the bulletproof the answers for everything and, you know, no, being so learned and being so confident and being the oldest in the group just by virtue of how many years I'd been on this planet. It was like, OK, I've accomplished X, Y and Z and I've led all of these things. So naturally I should be the leader, you know, like taking that armor off and just being like, ah, but that's not I don't want that. That's not what I want. Like, I want to be co in all of this, you know, that. Um, Yeah, it was just I think we were really fortunate, right? Of course, it's like hindsight's 2020. You're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's exactly how all of this worked. But that, I mean, it was, again, it was a really kind of important step in, in our story. But yeah, so that end of the summer, we had a really strong business plan. We knew that we had interest, right? We had hosted all of these uh, witching hours. We had been on 10,000 coffees. Like we really knew, okay, I'm exaggerating 10,000. Literally, it was probably like 280. Like that is not an exaggeration. You know, we had met all of these different folks who were like, okay, we know we have a viable idea. We know we have a viable business plan. We know that like this product could succeed here. And then then it was a matter of how do we finance it, you know? And we have continued to see throughout the course of our of our existence that like the numbers are real for a reason, you know, like people are not lining up to support women-owned and black-owned businesses in a certain way. You know, there's like there's all they say they are, but then there's a lot of hoops or there's a lot of that, you know, and we all of us are in this position of like there wasn't personal wealth for us to go, oh yeah, we can all just we can all just throw yeah. in a hundred grand and get this thing running. Like that wasn't the case. And so then that's what led us to crowdfunding and thinking about crowdfunding and what that might look like. And that's really where our skills came 
came to bear as marketers, as mm. as folks who had known, you know, Alex at that point had run multiple crowdfunding campaigns through um, clients of hers and had really, you know, dialed in like how to approach it. And that's how we kind of launched the idea with the world. We started hosting um, these pop-up events. We wanted to give a sense to the folks of the Twin Cities of like what it might feel like to be in that room and that type of content that would be shared or the type of environment that would be held, the container, what that might feel like for people. We did, gosh, maybe, I don't know, maybe six or eight of those in a, um, you know, October 8th of 2017, we announced this idea to the world. We said it was a thing. We launched our crowdfunding campaign. We had our first event that night. We were for sure thought like people were just going to be signing up left and right for memberships and not a single person even went to visit the kiosk. Like not even a single person went over. We went and had the saddest tacos of our life. Like we were like, well, nobody likes our business or our idea. And then it was this like, okay, nope, we just kind of keep at it. We keep at it. We keep at it. By the end of January, we had raised over $350,000 through our founding memberships, through gifts, through, you know, a number of different ways, through our crowdfunding campaign on iFundWomen. We had built partnerships. We had found a space. The future was like at our fingertips. We had enough because of that capital. We had enough money to be able to like have a runway, to be able to bring on a staff member to be able to, you know, fill the space and get it running. And that, you know, that's so much a part of our story was like, at all of these kind of intersections or turns in the road, it's like the community shows up. Yeah. Like the more we turn inward, the less successful we are. The more we turn outward and the more vulnerable we are and the more open we are and the more connected we are, it's like the business blooms, we bloom with it. Let me just go back to Sad Taco Night for oh, a minute. Please. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I want yeah. to talk more about Sad Taco Night. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's like do Taco it. Bell dollar menu, you're like, Ooh. this was like, well, yeah. it was like a restaurant that was supposed to be good and it was not. They were the worst margaritas, but it could have just been, it could have just been like circumstantial, like yeah. everything yeah. tasted bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like no knock on you that. Not I won't even name it. No, we shouldn't. Yeah. No, yeah. it was supposed to match your feelings. Exactly. Yeah. It really did. It really did. But I really think like, Okay, so Bethany and I had quit our jobs like some point in that August of 2017, August, September timeframe. And so that was like how we were able to keep that momentum going. Erin, when did you take another job? Was it September? Yeah, I think I started in September. So Erin took a, a chief operating officer role. Liz was still full time in an agency and Bethany and I had left our jobs and to do this thing. So then, you know, we get to sad taco night after all this research, all these coffee. I mean, we were literally just like our veins were buzzing. Like we just were like, Oh, we got to make this work. And when we got to Sad Taco Night, it was like, well, shit, I just quit my job. I'm taking on, I was work. we were both working freelance work. I was doing, I was running two campaigns, two political campaigns that were coming up for election in that November. So it was like, I mean, I don't know when I was like asleep ever. Yeah, and I had two little kids. Inputs everywhere. Yeah. Inputs everywhere. I had two little kids, like, I mean, under three. So it was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm eating sad tacos that I can't afford because like, yeah. t- this is my first freelance job. And I just quit my job. And like, now we have no money in this crowdfunding campaign that we've like put all of our effort into. And so it was like, this can't fail. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what was like the conversation that night was like, Yes, there were like maybe 30 minutes of disgusting margaritas that were like, this sucks. Like, is this real? Is anybody going to buy this thing? And then it was like this pivot to like, okay, the work that we have to put in for the next four weeks Mm -hmm. 
concentrated effort, we're going to reach out to 10 people every day, each of us. So that's 40 people that will be touched that day. Not in like a bad way, but like 40 people will be contacted. 40 people will be contacted every day. And we have to hold each other accountable to that. We're going to hold ourselves accountable to that. And we're going to put in the work. So it's not just about putting it out there and hoping that, you know, people show up. It's like we have to put in the extra effort. It's more than just coffees. It's about building relationships with these individuals, convincing them that they need something that doesn't exist. Bethany brilliantly describes our space as like, it's like a color that you didn't know existed. And that's so true. When we first opened, it was like nobody had seen anything like it before in the Twin Cities. And so we were lucky enough to foster that. And I think over the course of those next four months, that became just kind of this like driving force was like, everything has to be in service of generating more interest in the business and converting individuals. And so by the end of, I mean, we have data that shows like it took about seven to 10 contacts to get people to convert into members. So that means like, you know, I got to email them, I got to text them, I got to call them, and maybe I got to bump into them at a networking event and remind them and send them the thing again. And like, it's that all the time. And that was just like our first sales strategy. And I think we've taken that method and applied it to literally every other piece of our business. So without sad taco night, yeah, the rest of the coven probably wouldn't exist in like yeah. the robust way that it is because we've applied that sales strategy of like touch and go to everything, to every revenue stream that we have. And mm-hmm. it's working. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's such the story of entrepreneurship is like your back is up against a wall and you're just kind of like, this has got to, we have to figure this out. Yeah, like this but- has to be figured out. Like I believe in this, but now I just have to figure it out. And it's like, you almost get, so much energy from that moment. It's not like long living energy. Like there comes a point where you're like, yeah, deep yeah. burnout. Yeah. yeah, deep, deep, deep burnout. But it does fuel. I just feel like your brain goes into this like survival overdrive at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're just kind of like that. So, okay. I'm just going to restate what I believe I just heard is that you quit your job. You have two children under three and you're running two political campaigns at the time and then starting to run a business. You just took on a new job. Mm-hmm. And then Bethany also just quit her job. And you don't have a, like, like the space isn't even open yet at Correct. this moment. Oh, Correct. we didn't even have a space. Yeah. yeah. We hadn't signed the lease. We <laughs> yeah. signed the lease like right before Thanksgiving in yeah. 2017. So there was like, yeah. I mean, Liz was working a full time job, but she was also full time marketing the shit out of the campaign. So, like, yeah. ooh, this was like a 27 hour day that we were running. Like, I, I'm not even sure how we got all of it done. I think part of, What's interesting about our lives now is that like I look back to those times and I'm like, like that was that was so much. And we're doing so much more now as a business now, more efficiently. And we have a team um, who is amazing. Uh, But I mean, like when we first opened the space, like Bethany and I were trading off like who opens and who closes. So I would open the store, she would close the store, then she would open the store, I would close the store, and then I would open the store, (laughs) she would close the store. I mean, it was just this like ongoing, never-ending bullshit. And then meanwhile, like Erin is working her new full-time job that's like a huge role. Liz is running a strategy department, which is a huge role, and operating all of our marketing at the same time. I mean, it was just, it was pure insanity. Um, And yet... We're st- like, we're still a startup. We're still doing, I'm not in the, you know, I'm not cleaning the bathrooms anymore, but like I'm. But we were. But we were. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's important that we did that so that we knew what we needed. Mm-hmm. But it was like maybe within the first month open, it was like, we can't operate like this anymore. To your point around like like that burnout, it was like pure survival in the beginning. I mean, I remember like the girls, like we were sitting around for like a, a meeting and they were like, we need to like hire a cleaning person. And I was like, we can't do that. 
I'm the cleaning person. I do the cleaning. (laughs) They were like, no, you cannot do that anymore. I'm like, I have to do it. We can't afford it. You know, and it was just that like unknowing of like, I don't want to spend any money because what if we close tomorrow? You know, it's just that fear of like survival. And I think when we shifted that perspective or when I shifted that perspective from like, we have to move out of survival and into business operation function and figure out how do we how do we make enough money to pay for the cleaning person? How do we make enough money to pay for our first, you know, and that kind of changed, like changed perspectives of literally everything <laughs> again. When did you, when did you make that shift? Or is that kind of a continual thing that you keep working when through? When did we hire the cleaning person? <laughs> yes, that yes absolutely. <laughs> like, like month two, I don't know. When did we make that shift? It's a really good question. I feel like the, I mean, the answer is, is like, it's ongoing for sure. It's a constant, it's a constant reminder. I mean, we, we have a very, you know, we we have a strict schedule that has a lot of flexibility within it. But like we are connecting as the four of us founders multiple times a week. We have a structure for, you know, like a longer form work session meeting and more of a of a um, kind of update meeting. We've got, you know, our quarterly meetings where we go through and we go through all of our rocks and we go through all of, you know, our goals for the year or the quarter. You know, we've gotten... I think more flexible and like in the terms, short term of like what we're launching and what we're trying. But yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really ongoing. And it's that I think also that constant kind of practice of like, okay, the thing that we thought is not exactly how we thought. Now what? Now where do we go from here? Like, are there small shifts that need to be made? Is it a clean the house kind of thing? Like, what is, yep. what does all of that look like? So, yeah, it's constant. And, you know, and I want to be honest, too, like the four of us, like we are in therapy together. Like we have a business therapist that like we see that's like, yes, the business is present in those conversations because it's a thing that ties us together. But it's more importantly, our relationships tie us together. And so that is also like it's a thing we work on. We we talk about that our personal relationships have shifted dramatically multiple times during this. You know, I, early on, it was like we were around each other all the time. Like it was, you know, it was our personal, professional. It was all of the things, you know, and then COVID helped create a natural break in that. But like we also had to deal with like I say deal with in like a loving way. It's like, OK, there's shifts in our lives that are occurring. Our kids are older now. Our attention is splintered in different ways. How how do we need one another on a professional side? How do we need one another on a personal side? Like those things have all kind of shifted. And so it's a long answer to your question, but it's like I think it's just kind of staying and remaining in tune with that. I look back on those like early months, that first year you know, I think for me personally, because, you know, I had taken on this position when we when when we weren't sure if the coven was like a thing, you know, like we were exploring it. And I spent a lot of that first year in a space of like deep guilt of like not being present, all, like physically present all the time. Right. So my way of answering that was <laughs> throwing money at it. You know, like it was like, OK, I'm going to it's like I will I'm buying every lunch. <laughs> you know, like I'm paying for the cleaning, but I'm bringing like I'm paying for the cleaning person. Like, you know what I mean? It was just that kind of thing of like just trying to I couldn't be physically present. So it was like, okay, well then monetarily, where can I step in? When, what, what can I do? What are the, what are the tools that I have at my, you know, at my disposal? And, you know, those are things that like, again, we've all kind of like had to work through and work on over the, you know, 400 years we've been open and figure out what's different capacity wise. And then also go back to some of those moments where it's like, Oh, that hurt occurred. And that was a long time ago, but that hurt, it occurred. And this is what the impact was of it. And like, let's spend some time talking about that and 
figuring that out and how does that show up now and how can I show up differently or how do I need you to show up differently or whatever that might be. So yeah, I mean, looking back at that time, it's like, I mean, I trust the four of us to the ends of the earth. Like, I don't think there's a fucking thing that we couldn't get through. And I look back at that time and I'm like, how the fuck did we get through that? Yeah, no you know? kidding. Yeah. yeah. You know? It was yeah. a lot. I, yeah. I look at it fondly because there were definitely moments where it was like, oh, like we we did this in, you know, like that, like misery loves company kind of vibe where it's like, it's like, oh, like we're just going to like bond over this like really terrible or like, you know, challenging moment that we're going through. And I look at our relationship now and the business now and I'm, I feel so much joy saying like, wow, look at how much we've grown. Look at how, how much we care for one another enough to say like, that was great. And I don't want to do it again now. You know what I mean? I don't want to live in that state forever, yeah. you know, that survival state. And now I think we're moving in our relationship towards like a thrival state where we mm-hmm. can look at each other and go, I care about you enough to tell you the truth. I care about you enough to know and trust that you're going to, you know, do differently next time. And I hope you feel the same about me. And so I think we're constantly kind of working on that. And I don't know, Bethany talks, um, I really appreciate her perspective on <laughs> on life where she's, where her like vibe is, my goal in life is to, you know, be a better human and like to become a whole human <laughs> and to like really embrace like the entirety of like the human experience. And so I've been trying to like tap into that a little bit more to go like, oh, it's okay if it hurts. Like sometimes things hurt and like we're not perfect and it's okay if this sucks and mm-hmm. we can get through it. Um, and I think the history and if you look at if we're looking to like quantify that we're going to be okay. <laughs> like the data would show that we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I kept keep on saying to Andrea every now and then that we've latched onto is I was like, we're just spiritual beings and we're having a human existence mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, like, for sure. But yeah. I have a question about the business therapy thing, because that's something I feel like I hear so many people who are, who are in business with, with, with each other and then something happens and then they just split ways and their business is done. Right. Mm-hmm. Was there a catalyst for seeking out business therapy or were you just kind of like, well, I think we just need to get realigned. There feels like there's a misalignment. How do we get realigned? Let's get a business therapist to take care of this relationship. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a catalyst, not one that I feel comfortable sharing because it's not all of our story, but um, or we're not all here to tell that story. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I mean, for sure there was a catalyst. There was a lot of like, this was like, I'm trying to think, maybe December of 2021. So we had been a couple years into the pandemic and that had a real impact on our business, obviously. And it had an impact on all of us as individuals and it had an impact on us as as a collective. I mean, it just it jolted everyone into such a significantly different way of working that the framework of our relationship between the four of us was just not it didn't exist in the same way and um and so it was yeah that that december we had some real real talk about you know the hurts and things that had been there and maybe festering for a while or had been really present and it was kind of a call to arms you know i think we had all uh, honestly in some ways that um not my favorite, uh, not my favorite conversation in my life by any means, but like, I also am so grateful for that because it was also this moment where, um, like Bethany says, it's like, we could have gone down like a bunch of bitches. Like we were just like, we could have been like, (laughs) you know, like this isn't it anymore. And I think as, as trying and difficult and hurtful, like it hurt all of us. Like we were all in like, I think an equal space of just hurt. 
yeah. and sad that we at that moment said, um, we don't, at the very least, we want to explore how we could potentially grow out of this. And so that was definitely the catalyst. And then I think we got into that, you know, into those sessions and into those relationships. And, you know, it definitely took time um, to really feel like I think all of us could honestly open up, but we did. And that is a continuing practice. You yeah. know, it's a continuing practice of recently we were in a conversation. It was like, oh, that feels like a hangover from something else. Can you tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. When you reacted in this way, or this is how I felt, here's how I reacted in this way. And I can feel like that maybe isn't a truth right now, but it was a truth in the past. Right. So can we talk about that? You know, and so I think just that kind of that's where that really deep love for one another matters. Yeah, and I don't think it gets talked enough about mm -hmm. business. And I think that's why I was curious to know what the catalyst was. And I think the date actually makes sense to me. You said 20, late 2021. Mm -hmm. um, I think we were all kind of coming out of basically this survival mode. Yes, And then absolutely. into this now like new reality. Yeah. And I think everyone started reflecting. Yeah. And it's like some people just went their separate ways. For sure. You all took care of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, one of the things that's like I'm realizing is very present in entrepreneurship and small business ownership is there are so many opportunities to just be done. <laughs> like oh, so, yeah. Yeah. There is so much data to tell you, nah, like it's it's time to move on. And I think partially this blessing of having four of us is that even if one of us is just hanging on by 10%, it's enough. There's enough love there to go. I care about that person's 10%. And so I'm going to get myself to match that. And even if all four of us are just at 10%, that's a hell of a lot more than we were before this conversation. Right. Liz brought up something the other day. She said, you know, let feelings be. Um, and that was something that I think she heard from another boss at some point um, down the road in her life. But it really resonated with me because I think a lot of times we think about therapy as a place to fix a thing mm -hmm. or we as women, we're often like, let me fix this situation mm -hmm. for you. Um, like I was saying earlier, like, let me take on all of your burdens. Mm -hmm. And I think one area that we're learning right now is to like let feelings be and mm -hmm. allow someone to express how they're feeling, reflect on how maybe your actions impacted them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that like you have to go change the thing or that it's even your issue to solve. I think that's one area that we've been maybe more clear about is like, hey, I'm going through this right now in my life outside of this circle and it is impacting my relationship with all of you um, or it's impacting my commitment to the business. It's impacting my mental capacity. And that way, like we can have that conversation of like, oh, OK, like I'm going to let you have your feelings and I'm going to support you however I can. But it's not my responsibility to like make you better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think also for me, a lesson has been recognizing, right? Like recognizing an action or a pattern that I'm I'm taking part in, right? That um, And acknowledging that pattern. And I think one of the things that I found was when there were the more fractured times of our relationship, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, I mean, again, you have four people. So there's like, I don't know, I'm not good at math, a billion uh, dynamics there yeah. that you're dealing <laughs> with, right? So recognizing I have a tendency and I share this with my my love here that it's like to just work, right? It's like, I'm going to, okay, there's a, there's a uh, fracture in our relationship. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to work my ass off and I'm going to show you how hard I can work because that's going to demonstrate my commitment to you and my commitment to this business and what I found as a pattern in myself is that, like, I will work myself into a hole of capacity 
um, because I am trying to prove my commitment to this business and therefore then somehow mend a relational issue between the two of us or the four of us or whatever. And I almost let the business kind of be this stand-in for this thing that's unsaid between the two of us or the four of us or whatever it is. And I mean, that's just impossible. It's hilarious saying it out loud. I'm like, oh, it's so dumb. What an idiot. Hey, I feel you. Yeah. But I think it's like, it's a thing that I think we need to be aware of as women, as entrepreneurs, as Midwesterners. Like we will replace work ethic with like an actual real conversation with someone, you know, <laughs> uh, we hold work ethic above all things, above like honesty truly. And so just, again, just kind of being aware of what those patterns might be. And I think that's where, I mean, I'm such a huge fan of therapy, like in all ways, in all relationships. But I think that, again, has just been the gift that therapy has given the four of us has been ways to recognize and acknowledge some of these patterns. So then we can then we can be more confident in having these conversations with each other and really being more confident in going, okay, is that, a, is that an actual business problem? Or is it a thing that like we need to mend or discuss? And sometimes it is like it, it's a real business need. It's like, oh, that actually has nothing to do with the shit between us. It's like this is the thing that we need to figure out. But just because our business might be successful doesn't mean that we're successful in relation to one another and vice versa. So I think having a business therapist is such a, you're the only second business I've actually heard of that has. And I think it's so important to just actually let people know. But how did you even go about finding that process? Because is it somebody that is like a little bit more into with like the dynamics of the business world like yeah well they're called good human work is the organization and okay. it was a recommendation from a couple other another group of founders who have a founder group of four mm -hmm. and they were kind of going through the same thing and wanting they were forming their business and wanted to make sure that their relationship maintained their stayed intact and so they, they started pretty early with business therapy whereas like we started our journey a little bit later and had heard that they had great success. And so we had reached out to them. They specialize in like coaching executive leaders. So they know like the type of like achiever mentality that, you know, like what are you talking about? executive leaders have. <laughs> they also do like couples therapy. So they understand dynamics between founders and then there's or between individuals. And then this arm of their business is relatively new of working with multiple founders. Um, but it is very similar to like marriage counseling, where it's like there's multiple factors, dynamics. There's two people or multiple people who have different, who have whole lives behind them, right, or around them that then have to interact with like each other. And so I think that's one area that I think is important about therapy is that we recognize like the whole human that is sitting in front of me and whatever is coming out of your mouth now is also impacted by a hundred million things that I cannot see. Mm -hmm. And so having that type of empathy and building that empathy muscle, I think is important, especially for founders, because like Aaron said, we can kind of forget about empathy for a little bit and just be so focused on like, well, we got to make this business survive. You know, we have to keep the baby alive yeah. and like forget <laughs> about the relationship between us. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting because, I mean, if I'm being honest, I know like Andrew and I's relationship has changed since we've started the podcast yeah. a little bit. And I think like I'm guessing your relationships with each other has changed. But have you tried to then through having business therapy, like tried to almost like connect back because it started, I'm guessing like it started with that level of friendship and everything. Like, so do you, how do you try to like, do you try to balance like a little bit of like the business and like the friendship or... I'm sure it's a complicated answer. I think therapy is about the relationship between us and the business is secondary. It's not like we sit in therapy and talk about business metrics, you know, yeah. but it may be that the conversation that caused an ouch happened in business. And so we have to be able to like have that conversation. I think it's so important for us just to like, 
separate the two of them and understand where there's intersection. And I know each of us feel like a little bit differently about that. Um, so personally, yeah. like it's very helpful for me to have comp- to compartmentalize because so much of the beginning of the business was sure. being obsessed with my other three co-founders. Yeah. It, to the point where like, I mean, it was like my family was their family and, okay. you know, we just, we were just so in each other's lives that I felt isolated from the rest of the world almost like because I was so isolated in the business and so isolated with my co-founders and not isolated in like I didn't know what was going on in the world but more of like I didn't see anyone else for like four Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, you know and part of that is the business but it was also the friendship and so I think 2021 was like a and the pandemic in general was a great opportunity for me to think about like what what else do I need in my life to make sure that I'm grounded to me. I'm a Taurus. I like to touch the ground. I like, you. you know what I'm saying? Like, what are the areas of my life that that need to be fe- filled and filled up in a way that I haven't been nurturing them? So not only has it strengthened my relationship with my co-founders personally, mm-hmm. but it's actually strengthened my relationship with a lot of friends who I like have abandoned <laughs> over the last like handful of years and not in a bad way. I mean, we all go through those times yeah. where we just need to like step away from relationships and things. But I mean, I've reconnected with people who I've known for a long time, but haven't like really filled them up, you know, because I've been so ingrained in my business and in my business partners. And so I don't know, I think I'm excited by the community that I've built around me that includes my co-founders, but it's not exclusively my business and my business partners. Yeah, that hits. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's, it's perfectly stated. I, you know, I think there's also I mean, this is like such a, like everyone's, it's like, you've heard this 10,000 times, like the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself, right? I think there's a commonality between growth as a human and growth as a business owner and the growth of your business that is based in curiosity and avoidant of complacency. And early on with this like total honeymoon phase that we were all in and so deeply obsessed with one another and all of those kind of things, like I could really supplement a lack of curiosity within myself because I was just getting fed. I mean, I was right, like by like you're just learning so much about another person and all that. I mean, it's so analogous to being in any partnership, right? Specifically a romantic one. Like how many how many couples do we know that like their relationship with one another is supplemented by now just their relationship with the kids? And then all of a sudden the kids are not you know, it's like yeah. it, it just gets replaced, right? And it's the same in business. Like it's like you can be deeply obsessed with one another and then all of a sudden the business is the baby and you know, and everybody's focus is on that and you're less focused on one another and you're certainly not focused on yourself. And I think again, through kind of therapy and all of that, that is it's really kind of led me personally to just this like immense personal growth that started with, let me get curious about myself. Why do I feel these certain ways? Why does that feel like an ouch? Why does that feel uh, luminous? You know, why do I feel so joyful in this setting and not in this? Why, where and how do I not feel totally myself? Or why don't I feel like I can be honest in this scenario? And, you know, that led to Okay, then my own individual, you know, therapy practice. And what does that look like? And then my my therapy practice with my husband, like all of those things, I think like that commonality across um, yourself and your business partner and the success of your business. It's like, how do you hold space for curiosity to remain? And so you don't become complacent in any of those areas. And you just, for me personally, it's just such a deeper grounding of like, when we make that decision, I feel so much more grounded in it. I feel like, you know, when when someone else in the business makes a decision, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, go for it. Like, I believe in you. I believe in us. Like, I, I have, you know, like I've asked the questions I need to ask or I don't need 
need to ask any questions. I fully trust you. You know, I think that is, again, is just such an important um, piece to to stay attuned to and make sure that you're holding space for in yourself, you know, that you're not letting your business supplement a relationship with yourself because you're scared to do it. Mm-hmm. Can I talk about this moment in maybe it was 2022 sometime when we started talking about franchising and one of the um, franchising, the business, meaning like somebody else was going to like give us money to support them in growing the coven in another city. And we started looking into this concept back when we first opened the business, you know, and it seemed complicated. <laughs> so at that time, we were like, we don't know enough about what we're building to then go and coach someone else how to do this. But then with like five years of experience, it was like, oh, like we could probably do this and have a playbook to make this work. So in the middle of starting therapy and going through this practice, we're also kind of coming out of the pandemic in a weird way and talking about what does the business look like? How do we grow? And I got really excited by the franchising piece. And I think, you know, my business partners were excited by it, but we're also going through like deep, like thinking about our relationship with one another, the relationship with the business. How do we continue to grow this thing? Is what we've tried working, what's not working. So we were going through a lot of questions. And I remember like sitting in the therapy office together and like feeling like I call it like Sprite blood where you're like effervescent, where you're like, you guys, like this is going to be amazing. And you're like trying to sell this into everyone, you know, you're like, yeah, like we're going to do this and we're going to grow. And here's a model that I'm testing out and I'm meeting with all these people to talk to them about it. And my other business partners are just like, okay. Like, <laughs> I was like, I get like, I'm excited that you're excited about this. Like, yeah. we're going to get behind you, you know, and to like Aaron's point about like fully trusting each other. And I feel like that was one of those moments for me where I was like, well, I'm just going to like put myself out here to say like, I think this is a great idea and I hope you guys believe in this and I hope you trust me enough to like go study this. And I think everyone else was kind of like, all right, like, let's let's give it a try. I mean, we've tried everything else, you know, that was in our arsenal. We you know, don't have the capital to do this ourselves right now to expand the business ourselves. So let's work together to find other people to help support this work and bring more inclusive environments to other communities. And they like fully just were like, yeah, let's do it. And it wasn't like a washing your hands of like, good luck, like, (laughs) but it was really like the full support of the group. And I think in that moment, I felt fully seen and trusted in a way that I felt before, but this felt like different because we were in a very different stage of the business where it wasn't four of us solving the problem at hand. It was like one of us who had the an idea about making this happen and three people who are like fully behind it. And that to me is like the power of this relationship is, you know, Empress, for instance, the insights company like that was like Bethany was like, we got to like, we're going to try to make this happen. And Liz got fully behind it. And I was like, I don't know the first thing about this market research thing or like how we're going to sell it. But like, Aaron and I were like, all right, like we're fully support this, like give me a business list and I'll start calling people like, you know, I mean, so it was, it's those moments where I feel like that full support and trust in building the business also strengthens the relationship between one another. And I don't think like one is, they're not mutually exclusive. I think one informs the other. Yeah. So I guess I have a question. It's on my list here. So I'm going to ask this question. (laughs) So love a list. I, you know, (laughs) I mean, because I'm kind of curious because of these two new business ventures, like I, we have to acknowledge like the implosion of WeWork and kind of like how like VC fund, like did that deeply affect like how you were able to fund your <laughs> those motherfuckers? They just have the worst Honestly, timing. Honestly, I mean, truly it's, yeah, man, it's shown up in like both <laughs> August 
that we've met. Yeah. 2019, <laughs> Bethany and I are on a plane to San Francisco for our very first week of accelerator camp, basically. And we're out there to pitch investors. And the news pops up that we had that WeWork has released their S1, which we read on the plane and we're like, this is fucking crazy. Like they're burning money. Like this is just not even a feasible business. And the articles are coming out. The thought pieces are coming out. Investors are like, what in the world is going on? And so we get there and the first question, you know, we've like we pitched the business. We've got a shiny new deck that I did not design. <laughs> and it literally like literally the first question out of people's mouths are, well, how is this different than we were? And I mean, Bethany was like quick enough to say like, well, we're profitable. So that was like a nice like joke. But it was I mean, but it was true and a joke. But it was also like, how in the world are we supposed to sell this business into companies that are looking for high growth while this like multi-million dollar thing that's or multi-billion dollar yeah. thing that's valued way overvalued is crumbling in front of us. And now they're at it again while we're in the middle of our seed round of funding. Mm -hmm. they just, I feel like they know yeah. that we're raising money right now. <laughs> I, I, I think really, honestly, I think they're just not good all the time. And we just also happen to be raising money at different times. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably yeah. true. Yeah. They're just in the news right now. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has had a big it has had a big impact. I mean, WeWork is like the Kleenex brand of co-working, yeah. right? Like people know WeWork if they don't even know what co-working is. Yeah. And so I understand people's like questions and curiosity. And if it's like this big behemoth is not successful, how could you ever possibly be? And the answer is like, we share co-working as the structure of our business and then the similarities end there. You know, like that is really the the truth to it. Um but yeah, I mean, I guess it's made us like flexible in new ways of like knowing, yes, you have to be aware of like what's happening and the larger cultural conversation, whether it's an, you know, an analogous business to yours or not. You know, we've all, all of us have been existing in this like threat of a possible recession for 18 months now, right? And Two it's, years. Right. I think mean, it's yeah. years. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Just read you something know? yesterday. Exactly. So it's kind of like there's so many things that are just so deeply out of your control and it's important to know what those factors are and, of course, have really great answers as to, you know, be researched on them and know how it could, you know, what the what the implications could possibly be. And it's also an invitation to say, OK, what do you need, frankly, to ignore within this larger conversation? What can you not take responsibility for? Because it's kind of a, this weird thing with using WeWork as an example. Like some of those questions are this kind of veiled thing of like, we're somehow supposed to answer to their bad deeds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, that ain't my shit. Yeah. You know? Like, that's not at all. Like, if we had billions of dollars, it most certainly is not how we would be running our business. So let me tell you about how we run ours. So I think it's, you know, the responsibility ends up becoming like, how can you really, you know, be aware to ensure you're not following any sort of traps or anything like that? How can you, um, you know, more confidently talk about your own product? And yeah, and how do you kind of pay awareness to it without letting it take up too much space? Because it's just stuff that's so deeply out of your control, you know? So I think that's just really interesting because you said that and I was like, there is no way, Nick, nobody's ever looked at me as a jewelry business and been like, well, Kendra Scott did this. Yeah, so I like, was just going to say, yeah, what about like, Kendra Scott? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, how are you going to, I was like, not yeah. that I think Kendra Scott's done anything, but yeah. it's like nobody ever looks at me and is like, well, this business did this. So like, yeah. and they're in the same category. But it is interesting that the 
co-working space like I did it myself uh, where I was like is it because it's like such a niche product maybe and like that the scale of like one did end up getting like a Netflix documentary right you know like is that yeah I'm I'm like it is interesting to me that I think there's another factor here in that and and this happens to a lot of businesses and maybe maybe you maybe there's no scandal in the jewelry industry that I know about the jewelry industry (laughs) (laughs) but I'm thinking about how like Women get one chance, right? So there's been a lot. I mean, this, there's so many thing pieces about like the women who've gone down, like the away founder, like the yeah. uh, like uh, the wing. Like there's mm-hmm. lots of different situations that like some very warranted, and others are like this is a learning opportunity for this person, but they don't get an opportunity to learn. They just are canceled and they're gone forever, and probably replaced by a man. So like what happens right now is that there's so few, particularly black women who are funded. Right? There's very few. Yeah women in general who are funded, but let alone black women who are funded, that when they get in a position of power, there's there's no room for error, right? Because if you fail as a black woman who's raised more than a million dollars, which by the way, in 2020, there were only a hundred of them. A hundred. Like that's yeah. insane. <laughs> My five-year-old can count to that. So right, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like a hundred black founders in 2020 who raised over a million dollars. So when you're in that position, people are watching you mm-hmm. and ready for you to fail. And the second that you fail, then the rest of the uh, VC industry, the the venture capital industry, the rest of, um, you know, society looks at it and goes, well, well, black women fail, you know, Mm -hmm. or well, women fail. And I think when you when you ask the question around kind of like the the WeWork situation, it's like Adam Newman just got three hundred million dollars from the same investors who watched him burn their money for a new venture. So for us, we're looking at this going like. We can't fail because if we fail, then the next group of women aren't going to get funded. The next group of people who come up with a great idea for co-working aren't going to get funded. And so we see this as not just a, you know, it's great for our business, but it's great for all women-owned businesses. It's great for all Black women-owned businesses when Black women get funded because we need more of us at the top so that it's not an anomaly for somebody to make a misstep or have a mistake and that they're not going to fall through the cracks and, you know, end up going back to, you know, back to an idea that maybe, you know, isn't as great or going back to corporate America because like, well, I can't fucking start a business because, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's like black women have the highest rate of growth right now in businesses. They're starting businesses at higher rates than anyone else. Like we're the new economy. Mm -hmm. So like the fact that we can't get funded and yet we are still starting businesses shows a lot of resiliency, shows a lot of um, we can do more with less. We're a, you know, great bet because we're conservative with our dollars and we build a safety net around us. Um, But we can't cleaning bathrooms. Right. right, we're, We're getting the work done. But the challenge that I'm having here is that like. We can't do the growth that we want to do without the foundational funding and the addressing the inequities in the racial wealth gap and the gender wealth gap. If we don't address those things, then like those hundred founders who get the million dollars in one year are left alone, right? And whether they're successful or they fail, if they make a misstep, it affects the rest of the community behind them. And that is tragic. Mm-hmm. White men fail up, Mm -hmm. you know? I feel like there's a ruthlessness to it in that culture. And I always, it always bothers me because I sometimes feel like the people who are the most ruthless end up at the top. And it's like this predator prey mentality. And I, I hate it. And I'm always like, how do we change the metrics? 
Yeah. So there's not that. So you don't have this like, you don't have this embarrassment with like the WeWork thing. Like he blew through all their money, but yet he's still able to go out and get this money. It seems like there's a, there's no shame. No. There's no, it, they're just ruthless. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you change that? How do you find people who want to invest, who are more meaning, who want to create change, want to make more meaningful investments? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I don't have the Do you answer. feel like it is changing? Do you think it is? Yeah. There's more than enough money out there. Yeah. I just want to say like, there's more than enough. Like the abundance of capital yeah. is very clear. There's a lot of people who are sitting on money right now because they're concerned about the economy. They're concerned mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. risky investments and in air quotes, meaning risky investments are women. Risky investments are people of color for them. And so I think where I see this as a challenge is a lot of venture capital. I mean, it's a capitalist world, so it is it yeah. is ruthless, right? Yeah. Because it, it's capitalism is ruthless. Right. So yeah. like the venture capitalist is going to look for a ruthless type business that's going to make them money. They're not after impact unless they're an impact investor. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of conversation around change. I think there's a lot of new funds that are starting out there right now that are led by people of color, that are led by women, that are interested in investing in impact because they know that impact also has profits, but they're struggling to raise money right now. So like even the funds that are interested in us don't have the funds yet to invest in us. And I think that's the same for a lot of startups right now is they're struggling because funds can't get funded. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, there's this kind of like trickling effect of of being a startup founder right now where you're kind of like stuck until somebody else gets funded. And that's why I think like, frankly, like being in conversations like these is so important because the story of entrepreneurship that we are told is so narrow. Like if I were to ask everyone in here, close your eyes and think of an entrepreneur, right? We're probably thinking of an Adam Newman. We're probably thinking of a Mark Zuckerberg. We're thinking of some white dude in a hoodie launching some sort of tech product and making a billion dollars, right? All of us are closer to, right? Like all of us are closer to being in a position where we don't have any wealth, that we are closer to not being able to sustain our home life or being, you know, in, in inconsistent housing than we are to being a billionaire, right? And so I think that there's also just this, like, we we tell such a narrow story. We share such a narrow story about what successful entrepreneurism is. And so to your question about, is it changing? Is it, if we're still, we can have more people who are m- more dedicated and are, you know, of different backgrounds and all of that. But until we t- we change the story of what does success actually mean? And are we willing to, not through philanthropic dollars, Mm -hmm. because that's a whole other thing, but are we willing to say, I want to invest in this idea. I want to invest in these people because it matters to the ecosystem of the world that I want to build. And I do think that there are people who do invest that think like that out there. And I think there are so few of them that organizations like ours and community like ours, we're all all fighting for the same four people, right? And whether we fit into their focus or their portfolio or whatever that is. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it, that just, it just bums me out so much to think about just what, what a narrow story we are told about what success looks like. And in that story, I don't get to, I don't get to have my own, I don't get to enjoy my own success. You know, I personally, our, us as founders, we don't, we don't get to enjoy the success of our business and the impact that we've had and all of that in the same way, because we've, been told that we're not successful. Maybe not, you know, intentionally, but we're told that when we're not funded. We're we're told that when 
you know, it, we're just told that in a lot of different yeah. ways. When we're told our idea is inviolable or if we're told that our business is inviolable, if we're told that, you know, we're a risky bet, if we're told that, well, we're not investing in community, mm-hmm. we're not, whatever those things, like that's that's what we're that's what we're told. And because we live in a capitalistic society, money is the way of saying like you are successful in X, Y, and Z, right? We've had more people ask us why we're not in a nonprofit than why how we're a successful business. And I think a lot of that has to come with, you know, that we're a community-based business, that the impact that we make goes deeper than just a service that we sell, that it also tells us that there is this kind of like a break in people's brains about what can be profitable, like what is profitable can't be good, you know, Mm -hmm. like it can't be good at a grander scale. Yeah, it's just it's just an interesting thing that we're constantly kind of navigating. And I think trying to find it all these different intersections, like trying to just broaden the story about what entrepreneurship is and what success is and and how that is still fundable and it's still important and it's still unnecessary. Yeah. But it seems like in the business you're growing, you're living the change you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. So like that is the starting point. For sure. Yes. And I think that's the for me, that's what I kind of get excited when I yes. have these conversations and hear what you're, where you, what you're doing and where you're yep. going with it. Yeah, that is exciting. And I think, I mean, where it bothers me is that we, uh, so like, yeah, I want to be excited, but I also want to like, <laughs> no, 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 I want to point out the yeah. inequities because I think it's really important. So like, dis, like we are a very successful business. We've served thousands of people over the mm-hmm. last year, handful of years. We've had 400 uh, community funded members come through our space and they're building businesses. They're writing dissertations. They've, they've got free access to our space. We're expanding. We've got three new franchisees coming in this year. Like, the, like we are growing. We have huge growth metrics. And that's exciting for us. And when we go to, despite that, we are struggling to raise funds. So think about the business that's run by, you know, someone who's brand new to this, maybe what they call pre-revenue. So like at the idea stage of their business, think about them, who's a Black woman founder, a woman founder, who's really struggling with getting capital for their great idea, Mm -hmm. you know, for their business model that has been modeled seven ways to Sunday. Like we have done that work. We've shown traction. We've shown growth. We've talked to 350 investors in the last four years. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. And we've been lucky enough to get some of the funding that we've asked for. We've raised a pre-seed round of money. We're in the middle of a seed round of funding. Um, But even closing that seed round gap has been just a fucking slog this year. And I think about all of the people who don't have the traction that we have, but have, but need the fuel of financing behind them. I don't know how they're going to do it. And like, as someone who coaches, as people who coach entrepreneurs all the time and are like meant to be like inspiring figures of entrepreneurship, because the state of Minnesota wants to be like, look at these great founders. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to tell them. Yeah. It's a slog out there, man. Like, I don't I don't know how to give them hope that like things are changing when the numbers still say that black women earn, you know, have less receive less than one percent of VC dollars still. Mm-hmm. So like, I know that we're successful. Mm-hmm. I know we're successful. I know we've got a rad business. I know we're great founders. Like we don't need any more awards. Like all we want is to get the funding so that we can continue to grow this business and focus and continue to inspire other entrepreneurs to chase their dreams, go get their funding and make their businesses work. Yeah. Those disparate feelings of um, this is like what personally drove me to therapy. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> that that feeling of for us, like of both being um, mathematically excellent, exceptional even. There's there's no way there's no reason that we survived the pandemic other than through our own hard work and ingenuity and brilliance, right? 
because we've because we've raised these. I mean, we are in like the fractional percentage of how we've been able to survive and grow and raise money. And all of that is exceptional. And at the same time, you have to hold that we still are, you know, like we're still struggling at the same time. Like both of these things are true at the same time. And that dissonance is um, is exhausting at times. You know, it's it's the thing that will like push us on an award stage and people want to like celebrate us and then, you know, and then not follow up with <laughs> And then like that, you know, 20 people in the audience won't won't return our emails afterwards, right? You know, so it's like it's holding those two things at all times together and trying to give ourselves the own kind of like our own emotional capacity and ability to say, like, yes, we are exceptional and yes, this is still hard and we're still we're still fighting to like make both of these things exceptional. Um, I think that to me is like, if I were to boil it down to like what the story of entrepreneurship is, it's like, it's those two things. It's like holding those two things at all times together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, I'm just thinking about all this is like, unfortunately, as a society, we love the car wreck more than actually holding 100%. up like what is actually like working. It's just because it's like not for some odd reason, like actually just like good, consistent growth yes. and just like is not glamorous or whatever. And so as a society, we're like, oh, that's a nice story. I'm going to hard pass on that yeah. one. Like, yeah, which that's is a cute little business. Yeah, yeah there. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's again, that gets back to me. It's like, well, what if the story of entrepreneurship was one that was broadened? to be one of like really recognizing that when those unicorns happen, they're exactly that. They're unicorns. They, they're they not fucking real. Yeah. Like a unicorn is actually not real. Right. It's a thing. It's a figment <laughs> of our imagination. You know, like it's all in the word. We said it, you know, like that if what if the story there was like how that that is the point zero 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 one percent and that really the story of entrepreneurship is so much broader. Yeah. That there is a story of success that is long and intentional growth. And one that impacts the community and impacts the ecosystem and has, you know, pays dividends years in advance or years down the line. What if we told that as a story? Because we tell that story through phil phil uh, philanthropy. And that's why I say, like, I think people ask us why we're not a nonprofit. Yeah. It's like, that's the story we tell there, that like long community investment, being a part of an ecosystem, being a part of people's lives, being a part of their community, not just uh, not just being a service, but being a staple, right? That that is reserved as a nonprofit idea. Yeah. I think that's weird because if I was to be an investor, right, I would want to hear your story. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want... The WeWork story mm -hmm. got up and we went down. Like, and I think that's the thing where it's like when I'm thinking about anything, even how I run my business, I'm like, how how do I make this lot last longer? Mm -hmm. Not like this quick money. Yeah, well, venture is like a quick buck, right? Like, yeah, right. So, yeah. But I think there's, I honestly, I think like venture would be more sustainable if it yes. rounded out the portfolio yes. right. to involve both like rocket ships and companies that have mm. a longer growth period. Yeah, and can continue to ramp. I mean, I think there's. I think both of these things can be true and that would actually be like a much more sustainable model for a business um, rather than chasing and dump just throwing money away. I mean, I think that's like the majority of venture dollars are like, it's a bet. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, well, I'm going to put a couple million in here and I have to know that I'm going to lose it. Mm -hmm. Right. With that concept, then they could have two similar businesses that they funded, one that's growing slower, one that's trying to rocket ship. And they can talk about each of those and see this is what's working in this one, this is what's working in this one. Give advice on either side and say, and this is how both of them can grow mm -hmm. at yeah. this rate together versus you know the up and the down the up and the down i agree yeah. agreed <laughs> <laughs> so 
As we kind of conclude today's amazing episode, I guess I'm just like kind of curious, like, so you said there's three franchises that are mm-hmm. community owners. Our community owners model. Yes, yes. The community owners. Like, I mean, is there anything else that's kind of like in the pipeline that you guys can tell us about? Or, I mean, I'm sure that's like enough also. Yeah, that's enough, Larissa. <laughs> that's enough. No, I mean, it's so exciting. You know, the I think the growth this year. So we've talked a lot about fundraising and like the challenge that that is. The on the other side of this, like the business growth is that's the important piece of this. Absolutely. Like raising money isn't the headline. Mm-hmm. Like even though that's what gets headlines, like so and so raises three million dollars. Mm-hmm. So and so, like yes, that's important. But like, is the business working? Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. You know, like yeah. And and I think what we've proven this year is like yes, it is working. And this model for community ownership and by franchising is is the way that we're going to grow and we're going to build communities that are led by and for the people who live in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And that's the exciting piece Mm -hmm. about what we've been doing. So yes, that is like a huge growth opportunity for us. We're talking to founder or potential founders, potential community owners in 30 different states right now. Mm-hmm. So we're having so many great conversations that I'm I'm really excited about. And I will you'll be the first to know <laughs> yeah. when we get the next one. But the next two, um, one will be in St. Louis Park um, and one will be in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That'll be our first out of state one. We're taking this thing national. Yeah. Thing. Hell yeah. So, right. so yeah, just on the other side of the border, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, we, we chose ones that were relatively close to us so that we can have kind of a role in it and mm-hmm. learn from that experience so that as we get folks in North Carolina, in Chicago, in Ohio, that we are able to have those kinds of you know, deep relationships and experience. And then we can u- like work with our c- current community owners to help train those people as well. So it's an exciting community that we're building of franchisees that I think will be very unique and different specifically in this industry, which is very cutthroat. Um, when you look at like the co-working industry as a whole, you just kind of see like these big companies like absorbing <laughs> everyone. Right. Um, but in our kind of market analysis, we're looking at underdog cities. We want to go to places that don't have inclusive communities and really need them. So I think that's really like one of the, that's the key growth factor. I mean, Aaron's been leading our events, event rental pieces in our local spaces here in the Twin Cities, and that has grown. Someday I'll get you the numbers, but we can't even, I mean, it, I literally can't keep it's up. like we can't keep up. It's, we have requests multiple times, I mean, at least five a day come mm-hmm. in asking for rental space out of out of our communities, which is exciting because we're able to, you know, share our other spaces that are opening too um, and, and toss them, you know, opportunities for event rentals. Um, but I think that's like a huge, people want to gather again. Yeah. Yeah. People definitely want to gather. I think there's this thing, you know, uh, Al and I talk a lot about building inclusive community and what that looks like. And that for us, the way that that has come to bear uh, in the coven has been through design. So like physical design Mm -hmm. being, you know, cognizant of like, what is both the physical? Yes. But like, what's the emotional design of the space? Like, what is what does that all look and feel like? And then through people. So it's literally like for us, it's like, what is that um, hospitality like relationship with the people that come into the space? And certainly the staff, right? Our staff, like oftentimes, right, folks talk about like a service they provide and they don't actually talk about like the impacts of their staff, at, you know, so it's kind of thinking about like, what are those components together? And then finally, it's culture. So it's it's design, it's people and culture and culture is, you know, it's repeatable practices. It's the way that we as individuals and an organization are modeling for our community, our broader community. 
um, the things that we are holding space to say yes to that are outside of the business. Um, so I think those things in general. So we, again, Al and I go and kind of do a road show of like, what does inclusive community building look like? And what are the components and how that might show up in any person's business or in their own community? And I think, again, I think this is like, it's attractive. So like when somebody wants to host a thing in our space, like they could go and host it anywhere USA, mm -hmm. right? But they're attracted to coming to the coming because it's like, there's a thing that they feel when they walk in. I just didn't know I could feel like this. I didn't know it could feel like this to be in a space. And and that's what's like, I think it's really attractive to a lot of people. People are ready to gather again. They're They're excited to kind of like come into our spaces and get a glimpse of that, of like what that might look like. But for us, again, it's this kind of like whether it's through our community ownership model, whether it's through the work we're doing in, with Empress, whether it's through our thriving existing communities um, here in the Twin Cities, in our, in our co-working spaces, whether it's through the events that we host, all of those things are pinned together through this, you know, building inclusive community and holding inclusive community. And what does that look like? And kind of always consistently going through all of those like layers of, of analysis and thought and execution to to ensure that our spaces are and will remain spaces where people feel physically and psychologically safe. They do their best work. They're their most connected. They're their most open. They're their most joyful in spaces like that. And that kind of regardless of how we pirouette, what new products we may launch, where our communities, you know, where physical spaces may open, all of those things um, must remain present for us to know that like the good we're putting out in the world is is still the good we intended. Mm -hmm. Well. Alex and Aaron, thank you so much for being on the World's Okayest Entrepreneur Podcast today. Y'all are amazing, and I will always be rooting. Well, we will always be rooting for yes. you. Yes. Uh, yeah, I love it. I Thanks converted for... Andrew right now. He <laughs> yes. doesn't know that, but yeah. yeah, yeah love it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you both. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks, y'all. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Today's episode was produced by Larissa and Andrew. Today's episode was scripted by Larissa and Andrew. And today's <laughs> episode was brought to you by Larissa and Andrew. So if you like today's episode, please make sure that you share it with your friend. Um, that's the best way for our podcast to grow. And then give us a shout out on um, social media. Go follow us on TikTok or wherever. There's been a couple of people that have reached out recently on Instagram. And it's been really fun to get to know you. So please do it because it's really fun to talk to you because I can't actually talk to you on the podcast. Yeah. And we love the feedback. Like good or bad, we want to know the feedback. Yeah. Depends on the day. Maybe I only want the good feedback. I don't care. I'm just kidding. If we want the feedback. Thank right. you. Thanks. Bye. Have an okay week. <laughs> <laughs>